Welcome listeners, one and all, welcome to Regency Rumours, the podcast where a British-American couple recap and discuss Bridgerton, the Regency Netflix show. I'm Jordan. And I'm Kayla. And we are back. It's It's been a year, can you believe it? I don't know. COVID does strange things yeah, to Yeah, COVID timing brain. is so different than real timing, and it's been a while. We, we took a break because I was finishing a podcast for my PhD. Funnily enough, my PhD is in podcasting, and so if any of you listened to our last episode, which was just, we're on a break, it was literally just because... I was doing a really intense podcast for my PhD, and I just couldn't do two at once. It just wasn't going to happen. But now I've wrapped up that podcast, and I'm really excited for us to get back started with season two. Season two. Anthony and Kate. There's a lot going on this season. Um, a lot of interesting things to talk about. I think it's going to be a pretty good few episodes here of the podcast. Excited to hear what people kind of think about this. Yeah, it's been a minute, but we're shaking things up a little bit on on the shake, shake, shake on the podcast. If you've listened before in the past, uh, welcome back. If you're brand new, we're excited to have you. This time around, we are not going to be doing it in kind of a play-by-play -play recap. I think people know what's going on. They've binged it all night like we have. <laughs> <laughs> so um, we're just going to do like kind of a brief two-minute overview of what happened in the episode to kind of get you familiar again with that episode because let's be honest you've seen all of it at this point now it's just going back and remembering what happened in individual episodes but we're not going to do a massive recap we're just going to say a few points and then we're going to get on with talking about major themes plot points and then history points each episode will switch back and forth and we'll talk about a different historical aspect of Bridgerton so like Pall Mall or fencing some of the different things that feature in the episodes we'll just have a small kind of segment at the end of the podcast talking about a historical aspect of bridgerton and um, we've done one in the past on boxing for example so yeah. previous listeners should have a decent idea of what it is that we're aiming for there so we have a Facebook group. It's not overly active, but we have had some people on there um, kind of be like, hey, where's the podcast? And we've had a few emails as well. People have contacted us and said, hey, when's the podcast starting back up? And to be honest with you, when we first started this podcast, it was one of these things where we were alone over Christmas and it was the first time that we kind of had spent the holidays completely alone because of COVID. And Bridgerton was this distraction from all of the craziness that COVID brought and the unfamiliarity and, and being alone. And we could talk about Bridgerton and laugh about it and share it with other people who then gave insight. And so that's kind of what the Facebook page is for. I know there's people on there that would love to be able to engage more. So if you want to join, it's facebook.com slash Regency Rumors. With a U. With a U, the British U. Um, so if you want to join, um, there's other people on there that share articles and that share funny memes, that sort of thing. And so we'd love to see some more activity on that page. Please do join. And it's uh, facebook.com slash Regency Rumors. Um, one new addition for this season is a Ko-Fi account that my lovely wife Kayla has set up. So one thing that hopefully is 
obvious is that we're doing this because we kind of love the show and kind of talking about this together um but obviously we're doing it in our free time i work full time kayla is doing her phd sometimes we can't put the full effort into a podcast for longer than you know that just that spare few moments that we have so we're setting up a ko-fi account that if you would like to donate to us in order to support and fund new interesting episodes that aren't necessarily to do with Bridgerton directly then maybe some more historical aspects relationship aspects we're also really interested in kind of branching outside I'd love to recap Sanditon yes. that would be really fun um, maybe the Gilded Age there's lots of other Regency shows out there that we could recap there's so much stuff going on in the period drama world and we'd love to be able to talk about it we just don't have the bandwidth right now without kind of some extra support out there so if you would like to support us it is ko-fi.com slash regency rumors with a you with a you yet again if you would like to support us we'd be more than grateful that means we can explore what we could do with the podcast further and we could look into other shows that you guys are interested in so before we start out the episode i just want to briefly talk about period drama news so season three and season four has already been announced as far as we know it's going to be benedict and then colin next that's going to be the two stories normally the family goes in chronological order but obviously daphne got married first and so uh, not, it, not, not true remember there's that sister that is yes there but not there but but based on the books she hasn't really had her story yet she has a story she has a story no she doesn't yes she does that, what was she called Franny. Fran Francesca, yeah. I think. She has a story, so... I mean, she was barely... Did they even no, cast her? Um, I don't know. There was someone, I think she showed up as kind of an extra or whatever, but I'm telling you, if the show goes the full, what, eight seasons, she has her own story, so... But they kind of jump around, and there's a lot of people that are like, we want Colin's story now. So I don't know. They might switch it around and go, okay, Colin first. But based on the books... The order should be Benedict next. Yeah, I mean, because although Daphne was first, strangely, alphabetically, Anthony, yeah, Benedict, Colin, Colin, and then Daphne. So yeah. and she then threw a wrench in there. Y Eugene, wait, who? Uh, okay, anywho, Eloise, so <laughs> Eloise, I remember Eugene. Really, Eloise? I, 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 She's like <laughs> one of the biggest presences on the show. Yeah, I mean, I love the character. Yeah. It's just I forgot for a moment who was E. The Regency dating show, The Courtship, that's been out. Um, that's wild. To be honest with you, we were actually approached about possibly being extras for that. I feel really bad. The guy that contacted me, the, I think he was a producer. I felt bad because I didn't get back to him. I think we were trying to go to the States at the time, but we just didn't end up doing it. And I kind of wish we would have because that would have been really entertaining. Yeah, however... We have now seen the trailer yeah. for that show, <laughs> and we would not have fit in with. No, the I don't other know if extras. we would have. I don't know that we would have been picked. That everybody on the show looks very pretty, and we are really nice people and very bookish people. But I wouldn't say we're um, particularly film and TV. <laughs> I was wondering That's why how, we have a podcast. I was wondering how you were going to put that. Um, <laughs> we have really yeah. pretty voices. No. <laughs> um, so anyways, it's just exciting because I feel like Bridgerton has opened this door for period dramas to be taken seriously. And in the past, I just remember like watching BBC and 
2007, I think they did a lot of the Jane Austen um, books. They did adaptations of them. And I just remember being so excited. And that, that was like one of the only Regency things that came out in the following years and things. And now it's like we've got two Regency shows running at the same time. And so I think what Bridgerton has done, even though a lot of it's really like fantasy and over the top, and there's a lot of kind of Austenites that are like, mm, you know, Bridgerton's not Jane Austen appropriate. And it's not. And it's not historically accurate or anything like that. But I really feel like it is going to make producers and executives ex executives look yeah exactly executive executives look at regency shows and more period dramas and be like let's put money into that yeah and i feel like you know downton abbey kind of paved the way for that and now bridgerton is picking up the baton and running with you know this chiclet historical style romance and people are loving it and i really think that more regency and period drama shows with good budgets are going to come out and i'm excited yeah. i mean because last season we talked about how bridgerton hit at the right time during lockdown yeah when everybody just really needed something fun to watch nothing too high stakes no game of thrones like yeah, scenes it, of of death and horribleness it was perfect for the era yeah of of covid you're right i i agree with that because it it was light and romance and fantasy ish yeah. and yeah um so i'm um, obviously having the budget and being able to do new and interesting things for people such as yourself who have been you know waiting for this for so long you know that's i think that's a really good thing i'm really excited so first initial reactions of this new season what do you think i i did really like it um once again we watched the whole thing in one go so <laughs> it's very hard for me to pick out individual episodes we, and what happened we decided we were like you know what let's just watch one episode and we can kind of make notes and um things for the podcast and then we stayed up till four o'clock in the morning and i had work the next day that's what i hear from so many people yeah they're like I've watched it in a whole night. Yeah. So So it's it's not it's not uh surprising, despite the fact that it was a bit of a surprise. Um, because we did the same thing in the first season. Yeah. Um so yeah, I mean, really enjoyed it. Um it was a little less racy than last time. So it's a bit easier to watch with the family if you if you kind of that way. I mean, inclined. I don't know that I would go that far, but no, I mean compared to season one. Compared I mean, to yes it's please. much less embarrassing if there's parents in the room or <laughs> yes. something i mean not that not that we had anybody else around us to, to but watch still, it still yeah i mean some of those scenes you know everybody's got a different comfort level but some of those scenes it was kind of like that's more than i've normally watched with stuff like that i feel like this season there's there's been a lot of buzz about people being like oh there's not enough sex in this season and what happened to all that but really, I think that it's enhanced the show. Oh, 100%. I think Shonda Rhimes has proved that she has thrown her hat in the ring for creating the, the slow burn Regency romances, which is really what Regency romances are all, all about. Like, that's how it shines. Yeah, the is, contemporary stories were like that, weren't yeah, they? Yeah, these, these tension-filled narratives between these couples where exactly at the right moment they look into each other's eyes and they gaze or they they graze hands with one another <laughs> or whatever that, yeah. and it just for whatever reason it gets you all like ooh like what's going to happen between these two people I wouldn't and go that far like all in your heart and everything 
Oh, okay. Yeah. Are you serious? Anyways, <laughs> like I, I'm just saying it, it really makes makes you want to know what happened with this couple. And it's not all about the sex. And the this season felt like there was so much more depth to it. I yes. I feel like. And all the more better for it. Yes. Yeah. So And that was gonna be my next point. I really like the characterization yeah. and the development of the characters. Um, we'll talk a little bit more, obviously, about Anthony's character in this episode and further episodes. But I think just the way that they developed him from previous seasons, really good. Without that focus on the kind of, I don't want to say shock, uh, the more, the tantalizing aspect yeah. of season one with the sex and all that kind of stuff. Without focusing on that, they were able to focus more on the characters. And their relationship. And their relationship. Yeah. And, but not even just the main couple everybody everybody yeah. yeah so that was really good um one other thing that i really liked from this season was the uh, the diversity in the casting i yes. just thought you know we've talked about how bridgerton is more fantastic than it is realist um there's nothing wrong with that and i think if you've got a world that you can kind of go everything is all pretty and happy all the time why not have that diversity? I think it's absolutely fantastic. And it just, it shows the the variety that can be used in kind of narrative and storytelling for absolutely. this period of time. Absolutely. Because there is, if they were trying to do things so realist, a lot of times it can make these these narratives so limiting for people of color. And a lot of the stories can be really dark because stories of people of color could be really dark back then because of, of things like colonization and slavery and stuff like that. And I think there's a lot of people that want to be able to be in a Regency fantasy and be like, that person represents me and my culture. And it, it's so cool that Bridgerton prioritizes that. Yeah. And this season is about um, Kate and her sister Edwina, and they're from India. And they incorporate all these really cool aspects, yeah, cultural aspects from India. And I just think that's so cool that we can kind of see that and that there's like a range of, of different people featured in Bridgerton. And Even, it just makes it more, more fun and it makes it yeah. seem like everybody is meant to be in Regency romance. And exactly. that's true. Everyone is. Yeah. And so... Even the extras, the background characters mm -hmm. that have no speaking lines. You walk through a market and you've got people of all different cultures, all different backgrounds, and it really kind of shows the ton as... Um, multicultural. Multi multicultural. Yeah. And, yeah. and that is just, why not? It's yeah. it's really great. So That's one of my favorite aspects of the show. So now, just to remind you of what happened in this episode, because I'm sure you've already watched this whole show through once or twice or three times. We don't judge. <laughs> so, episode one recap. This episode was called capital r rake so we're back in london with the bridgerton family as eloise is about to come out as a debutante as you can imagine that goes down badly because the queen gets distracted by lady whistledown's paper which hasn't been published in months we then see behind the curtain with lady whistledown penelope featherington pretending to be an irish maid who delivers her mistress's words to a printer i love that they let her use her accent in this yeah, her, uh, yes, her real yes, yes. Irish accent. So the stubborn and smoldering Anthony Bridgerton has finally decided that he shall find a wife, but he's definitely not looking for love. He's looking for perfection, as he says. <laughs> not going to find it. Um, <laughs> but woman after woman that he interviews does not tick all the requirements on his list. Meanwhile, he randomly runs into a mis mysterious woman on horseback. He assumes needs saving. Does she? She's just 
on horseback. Anywho, that mystery woman is Kate, a 26-year-old spinster who plans to be perpetually single while putting all her energy into finding her sister Edwina a husband. Kate overhears Anthony at a ball talking about women as if they're cattle with a group of men and determines that he is not going to be part of the list of suitors for her sister. When the queen names Edwina the new diamond of the season, however, Anthony makes a beeline. <laughs> See what I did there? Oh, very clever. <laughs> to Edwina, thinking that the two of them must be together. Kate, however, will stop at nothing to keep Anthony from her sweet, unknowing sister. So there's a lot of there's a lot of things that are familiar, right? Like the Bridgertons are running around getting ready for an event, which is very normal. Um, <laughs> but what's missing, obviously, is the Duke. The Duke is gone. Um, and there's been oh, a, no. oh so no, so sad. There's been a lot of buzz about that. People thinking that he should be in the next season. There's no point. His story is done. I think the people that are complaining about that are people who haven't read the books, to be honest with you. And reading the books, they are really formulaic and there's a structure to them. And it's couple by couple. You know, every single book has a different couple that's featured. Yeah. Really, the storyline between former couples, it doesn't really advance beyond like, they've had a baby. But the thing is, it, it really shouldn't It really shouldn't. Because they've had their happily ever after. Exactly. And yeah. you can't have a happily ever after and then come back to the couple. And then have like drama between them. There's right, no because there's no point for that. Like yeah, you'd you have want to, to see have him happy. It. Yes, exactly. And if he did come back, they would have to contrive some kind of drama, yeah. bad situation. Otherwise And you don't want that. You want yeah. them happy. So now do I think he could have like the the actor yeah. could have come back to like film a a scene or or he could have been there through the pow mal kind yeah. of episode that would have been really fun because he was the duke was there during the books for that kind of scene in the book right so that would have been cool if he came back for like a day of shooting but for him to be completely incorporated in the new season there was no point so yeah. and that's a really interesting thing about a tv show isn't it compared to the books because yeah. obviously you mentioned there that he is in in the scenes in the books yeah as an author as as a writer you have unlimited budget to do what you want with your characters you can do anything whereas in this case we're working with other people actors who obviously have other things that they might want to do right he decided he didn't want to return right like he decided i think it was like a mutual thing where like hey it's not like we're gonna have a whole season around you again so like yeah and then he was like i've got other things going on so i think it was a bit of a of a mix i don't think there was ever a plan for him to be the main character of this show oh no it was never a plan for that so i just don't think i don't think it's that big of a deal i'm not like oh devastated the show is missing something. I think the the cast, the new characters bring in a really strong storyline and I'm just excited to see their story and what happens with them. Yeah. And then just having mentions of the Duke and that him and Daphne are happy, it's enough for me. I'm yes. happy they're happy and now I really want to focus on the tension with Kate and Anthony. Obviously. 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 So one thing that I think is quite interesting about this season is that right from this kind of first episode we have got kind of kate edwina and their mother obviously this indian family that have come back to england after um her mother's time away um she kind of escaped from her parents and things we'll we'll find out that later on really we'll talk about it more than perhaps what is quite evident from this right from the beginning is that it's going to be this enemies to love a slow burn love story how do you feel about that it's it, you know how obvious it is 
Yeah. I mean, one of my friends was saying that she wasn't happy with how obvious it is. And I, I get that because in some ways it's very cheesy and it lends its itself to copying a lot of Austin stuff. In some ways, that's the point of Bridgerton, right? So there's a lot of scenes that copy kind of Elizabeth to Mr. Darcy. I think there was some that I thought was a bit Emma-ish as well. You know, I can see some of the the cheese to that and knowing that this couple is going to get together. But at the same time, I think these sorts of stories are about the journey and not the ending. We already know from the onset, he's chasing her on a horse. And that's... <laughs> it's a perfect metaphor. You know, he's chasing her on a horse. And we're like, ooh, this is the new love interest. And really, like, we know they're going to get in, get together before we even watch the show because the casting is announced. And we're like, oh, the casting is announced and the love interest's name is Kate. And so... Okay, well, that that's interesting that you should say that because, you know, long-time listeners would know I don't pay attention to that ahead of time. <laughs> yeah. So when it comes to the casting and the characters... I, you know, I don't pay, I don't pay attention to those kinds of things. But in general, I didn't see the casting for this season before it occurred. So it was an interesting thing that you kind of mentioned that because yes, a lot of, a lot of fans of this genre really do pay attention. Yeah. Because that's, you know, it's what, it's what you love so much. And so of course you But they're not hiding it as well. It's not spoilers necessarily. Hmm. They're not hiding it. They're just saying like, so-and-so has been cast just like they just announced that someone has been cast to play the young queen in the the new charlotte spinoff series queen charlotte spinoff series um yeah there's going to be a bridgerton spinoff about queen charlotte uh, as a young queen it was and i accidentally (laughs) skipped it oh (laughs) um but no i i think that everyone's kind of aware that it's going to be this happily ever after situation because what kind of a romance would it be if it wasn't you know well and i think you're you're kind of guaranteed a happy ending and there's a lot of comfort in that and a lot of people want that comfort and they they run to things like bridgerton because they're like i'm gonna get happily ever after well because like we've just said you know this is a show for you know boosting yourself when everything else looks a bit crappy yeah i mean it it makes you feel good and you're like i want to live in this colorful world where where i'll find a man who will tell me that he burns for me you know (laughs) (laughs) but no i think um the happily ever after thing it's it can be predictable and maybe after eight seasons we'll be like okay this is enough but to be honest with you right now i like it and i'm more excited to see like the tension and the build-up and then them finally getting together then i am guessing whether or not they're going to be together yeah but i don't even think that after eight seasons it's going to be boring or, or no no, or no. i'm not saying that but no i mean i mean the structure itself i i, I don't think that the happily ever after is going to be a bad thing even after eight seasons because yeah. there is a comfort in that it's the same thing as you know watching for me something sci-fi and going oh it's set on a spaceship like knowing that there's a spaceship it's in space that's one of the (laughs) things i like i don't know it's just a simple man yeah and so it but it's one of the components of the genre yeah and if it's gone there's something wrong i get you so yeah i mean i remember uh specifically saying right at the start of the episode when we were watching it that you know that it was obviously going to be enemies to lovers and it was obvious but like i don't know i just thought it was fun um it it shouldn't be a mystery the mystery is more how are they going to do totally so we're going to move on to some main moments and the first one on my list was totally this wed bed bread moment with anthony when kate 
catches him talking to that group of men and it really resembled locker room talk to me and when he finds out that she's been listening he comes up to apologize but he apologized that it was not for her ears not that he shouldn't have said it not that it was wrong that he said it but just that it wasn't for her ears the veil has been lifted at that point for her he has in that moment when he has spoken about women as if you should just bed them bread them and wet them he's that was the wrong order whatever. but i understand what like you he mean. is talking about women as if they're cattle and just objects and things no wonder that it took 0.5 seconds to go you are not good enough for my sister yeah that's all it took yeah. because the veil is lifted but so a couple of things here i think the way that he's talking about women that's that's embodying his character as we know it from the previous season yes and shows you the kind of the starting point right this is episode one we know that things are going to change although ironically when we first watched it we didn't 100 percent know that things were going to change because um in the first season he didn't change all that much did he like no. he made mistake after mistake after mistake but i mean i think that's why this first episode is called like the rake you know yeah, it's capital R. it's, it's yeah. establishing who he is but or I who think he was. who he was, but I I think it's it's establishing also Pride and Prejudice was first named First Impressions because it was all about how the two of them had made like bad first impressions of one another. Oh, that was the name of the novel. That was the name of the novel before oh. it was Pride and Prejudice was First Impressions, and this this is like a very extreme version of that because he has said some awful stuff. Her first impression of him is awful. The rest of the season is about him kind of having to change as a person to to really see that women aren't just objects but also that he deserves love and so i think that like this this moment is it's really bad and it it shows you that some men can take liberties speaking about women as if they're objects like this as soon as you turn and talk to a woman about this it's like oh sorry that wasn't for your ears and yeah. it's like so what I think one, you just mentioned there, like, oh, some men, blah, blah. I think one of the really interesting things about this scene, actually, is that it shows you that in this world, in the fant fantasy world of Bridgerton, it's actually all men. It is all men speaking like that. They all see them as just this thing that they have to get in order to have an heir and carry on their line and all that kind of stuff. But then I think the, the interestingly naive thing about Cape, for someone who is so worldly in so many other ways she's protecting her sister and going through all these lists of what the the men should be and she's kind of given her sister permission to go speak to people she's really quite naive to think that anthony is the only one saying that behind closed doors do you know what i mean i think yeah. the whole point of that scene is to show us that's what they're doing they they're all talking about the women outside with like with their smoking jackets on or whatever it is you know their cigars right and so like they're uh, you know like oh yeah uh, this is this is what we think it's it's stupid and it's like childish really um but i don't know i just thought it was an interestingly naive moment from a character that otherwise is quite clued in yeah, I, I think the weird thing about something like this, though, is that it's not like Anthony was brought up that way. It's not like when we seen, see scenes of him with his father and then the way his mother talks about his father, it's clear that he was raised in 
a household where his parents loved and respected one another. And so it's not like he, the version of women that he saw growing up was like this. So it's, it's disappointing to hear that his grief losing his father and what it did to his mother turned him into someone who thought that these limitations that he put around women were right. Yeah. And it's clearly something that he's, he's really taken upon himself. Nobody else has ever, has given that to him. He's, yeah. he's kind of seen how it quote unquote should be in society and has decided, yeah, that's how it's going to be for me. Which is why he's put together this ridiculous list for these women that none of them can can live up to. I did kind of like that uh, montage moment secret, where yeah. he's like, <laughs> he's scribbling out names. Like he starts off with like a calm line through the name. And then by the end of it, he's like scribbling it out. He's like, <laughs> um, so that, that was funny. So another main moment was seeing Penelope as Lady Whistledown. We're watching how she works operationally compared to the first season when we didn't very, know very much. So do you feel like this changes how we see her? A hundred percent. I think it's a really positive change. Yeah. Because in the first season, there were a lot of moments laying that red herring trail that showed you Penelope as this silly, childish kind of woman who listened to her mother all the time and her sisters and was browbeaten and couldn't work up the courage to say things to the guy that she loves, all that kind of stuff. And it flips it on its head. And all of a sudden, we see this super smart, super operationally clever person yeah she talks about she talks about the paper kind of like as as if it's a, a business yeah she's she's like my mistress needs this and this is the deal that you're gonna get on the paper whoa this is a different side of penelope <laughs> and i really like that um that element of characters when when it's a secret um business owner type thing and then or they... a spy or something and yeah. it's the most unlikely spy that you could think of yeah yeah but, but then you see so penelope is playing a character of this um mistress's you know delivery girl um and and she's like well my mistress says this and so that's what you're gonna do but really she is the person like deciding that and i think that's so powerful and and it's, it's, I love that when characters do that. I think that's really cool. I mean, I think it's another conversation of how ethically right anything is with Lady Whistledown. But seeing her have agency over her own life in some way and seeing that she's built this massive paper on her own back and that has everyone in tethers. It's Including it, the Queen of England. Exactly. Like, it's got to be satisfying for her at the end of the day right like yeah and this is something that we might talk about in future episodes but i want to bring it up now whilst i remember do you remember when we were watching um and we kind of talked about how we were wondering why she was doing what she was doing with her proceeds and her money that she was i want to know but well the thing we is we don't know do we remember like i just had a brainwave a sudden brainwave as we were watching she she's not allowed to do anything with that money herself because she's a woman yeah. she's not allowed a bank account without her husband or her father's right. permission so to see somebody in that kind of society break out of the bonds like that of society and go no i'm gonna do it and this is how i'm gonna do it and you can't stop me it's just really powerful it's really fun i think at the same time it's frustrating and we do kind of see her facial expression this is in later episodes we do kind of see her, her facial expressions to do with her family and stuff but it's 
you're right. It's almost as if she can't even help her her family's financial situation because they can't know. So it's it's really um frustrating. But at the same time, she's got to have some sort of plan for that money. And I can't wait to find out what that is. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So the next main moment then um, that we have on our little list is the chase scene. So what was that? I mean, seriously, <laughs> when when we first watched that, I was sitting there going, I'm so confused what is happening in this scene. Because she's just riding a horse fast, which I have done many a time in my youth, just a pastime that people like doing it, especially back then, it was a mode of transportation. So a lot of people would have gone on a morning ride or whatever. Okay, but how many women would have been riding through a park on their own at, just before the break of dawn, not riding side saddle and galloping and like i mean fine whatever but i just i i feel as if if that was a man that was just riding past fastly <laughs> yeah well the thing he is he would he would be like oh it's just a dude riding a horse but because it's a woman he's like she must be in trouble it's a female on a horse i must go rescue her and i'm like what in the world like it's it's that chivalry that you know that gentlemanly but just to spirit assume that a woman on a no, horse somehow it's, needs it's, <laughs> needs your help i'm like it was a bit it really? was a bit silly yeah. and and just to be clear i was joking about the chivalry there um so <laughs> i think um it is a bit of a metaphor for the the season yeah i get it you know and it's i just thought it was funny no i know 100 percent. it was funny but at the same time i thought it was a nice kind of image and um, we do keep coming back to it throughout the season you're right. I didn't think about that. So it becomes a bit of a motif. Yes. Um, so, yeah, yeah, it sets up something that happens much later down the line, which we'll talk about when it happens. Um, but it sets that up. And it, that, that you know, that other scene in the later episode, which I'm sure everybody knows about, but let's not talk about it just yet. Um, that wouldn't be as powerful without this one. So, yeah. Fine. Whatever. I'm just saying women are capable and horse riders and they don't need men to chase them <laughs> on horseback. Whatever. So, um what about the kind of the final one we've got on our list here? So Kate keeps from her sister the situation with the grandparents, the whole kind of love match situation. Ugh, I'm so torn about this. I'm so torn about this. I've never been an older sister, so I, I've i got an older sister, but I have not been in that situation. So I don't 100% know what it's like to be kind of protective in an older sibling kind of way you're the oldest sibling yes. and so you might be able to speak on that a bit more than i would but i feel like in some ways kate feels like she's in a rock and a hard place you know she feels like she wants her sister to have a love match of somebody she she really loves and that she can build a life with but at the same time she wants her sister to to be able to have a dowry and for for her to not struggle so much financially and for her to be able to help out her mother and so she's like if i can do these two things at once why wouldn't she and so in a lot of ways i i get where she's coming from but do do i think she should have kept that secret from edwina i i don't know i i think yeah, i think no. edwina should know because as a younger as a younger sibling there's a lot of times that you do feel like you're inadequate that you are the immature one in the situation that you you feel like um you can never live up to the expectations of your older sibling there's all those different things at play all the time and then if you feel like you have been kept information, you feel like they think you're not mature enough to handle it. They think you're not capable of handling it. And so I get it from that end. But then I look over at Kate and I'm like, 
gosh, I get why she would hide that because she's like, I don't want this burden on my sister. I just want her to find somebody that she likes. And because back then it was so important for you to get married, for, for you to really survive in society, there was so much at stake. It's not just like, oh, I'd like you to find a boyfriend for a bit so you can be happy. It's literally yeah. like life or or being cast off you know, to I mean, some male relative. I mean, let's be fair. For people in that class of society, the upper class, to to then have to go away and descend the the classes to, you know, work or be destitute was one of the worst things that could happen. It was, in some cases, worse than death. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's something we'll talk about more as, as the episodes go on. Um, but, you know... I think what is admirable is Kate's dedication to her sister. Yeah. And um, it's not, she thinks it's selfless what she's doing. Yes. Really, it's. She thinks she's taken on a burden. Yes. And she's she's shouldering this burden to protect her sister, protect her family. But in reality, she's just taking away their agency. And keeping herself from being happy by being like, oh, no, I'm too old to get married, please. 26? <laughs> please but i think it's um it's really interesting because it's kind of um kind of like we can see these sorts of things with someone else and their family and how dedicated they are to their family and how they think they can't be happy because of their family hmm i wonder who that could be huh it's, it's anthony oh Dude, <laughs> graciousness okay no, I, I thought you were making a reference to some real world people i'm no. like what have i done no. <laughs> Okay, so we're going to wrap up this episode now with our history moment, which I was just talking about Kate being 26 and thinking that she was too old to marry. So we're going to talk about the history of spinsterhood. Kate is actually considered to be an old maid, um, similar to kind of Anne Elliot and um, Charlotte Lucas in uh, Jane Austen's novels. So women from the age of 26 to 29 were considered past the age of spinsterhood so um spinsters were originally a term used for women who spin wool so it which i didn't know i think yeah, that's quite interesting i didn't i didn't know that that either um but it evolved into a woman of good birth who works or does not marry so <laughs> a spinster is pretty much completely dependent on her family to keep her up and and give her shelter all of her life mm. so uh, one example of that is kind of um, Jane Austen's own life. Once her father died, she was kind of shuffled around from house to house and renting in different situations and then in her brother's house and things. And her life was really never overly stable right. because she didn't have a, a husband who she could live with and be the mistress of a home. She kind of was shuffled around. That hurt her creativity it had to have been scary to not really know like this is my permanent home or you know i'm the mistress of this home or whatever you just kind of were hoping that a man in your family would support you financially another example would be kind of the dashwood sisters in sense and sensibility so when their father dies their brother is over giving them a kind of a stipend to live on every year and he gives them a very low stipend to live off of and something they're not used to living off of and they have to get a really tiny cottage and there's nothing they can do to change their situation other than the girls needing to marry well so in that situation 
would their brother have had to have given them a dowry as well when they married? I think so, yeah. yeah. But until then, he would give money to them every year, like an amount to live off of. The father, before he died, he said, please give them you know, an all right amount of money to live off of. And then their brother eventually was like, nope, like I'm just going to give them like a measly amount. And that's what they had to live off of. And you, you don't Curious. have any, you don't have any say. Yeah. So other women would turn to becoming governesses because they possibly wouldn't even have men in their life to, uh. to fund them. So that's where some women would turn to governesses like Jane Fairfax and Emma or Jane Eyre. Um, and it was seen as a bad thing for a woman to have to go work. It wasn't this kind of thing of like, I got a job, I'm independent, I'm amazing. It was kind of, she's got to go be a governess. She's got to go make money. Yeah, and, it's kind of kind of like a failing. I mean, there wasn't anything dishonest about the work. There wasn't anything that wasn't respectable about it. But if you were used to a certain lifestyle and then you had to be someone who had to go be a governess, your circle would be looking around at you and pitying you yeah i mean that's so, really curious because i think today there are a lot of people who would probably prefer to go and be a governess rather than getting sit, married sitting at, around and just getting married and doing nothing embroidering and stuff you know what i mean like i mean it wasn't as simple as all that but yes i, I know i know i, I, I get what you're saying I, i'm sh i'm sure there was plenty of women that didn't get love matches that would have preferred to just be single and we have talked about before widows that those were the most powerful women sure because they had loads of agency and so a lot of women yes, would refuse yeah. to remarry because they've got control over the estate now and they've got control over the finances and Good that sort of thing them. yeah and i mean i would probably do the same and just never marry again but <laughs> spinsterhood it made you vulnerable and it ranked you lower than married women in society. So women were typically identified in tax or judicial records by their marital status, so spinsters, wives, and widows, whereas men were always identified by their occupation or social status. Surprise. So according to, to statistics, it's hard to get out that word, one in four girls ended up unmarried. Which is a huge number. So, but that's why marriage was so desperately needed back then was because if women weren't matched up, they could end up doing loads of, of free labor without being the head of their household. So an example of that would be Fanny Price in Mansfield Park. She's taken in by these relatives and she's the poor relative. And when she's taken in, her aunt kind of bosses her around and she doesn't get to be like her cousins and just go to parties, you know, play games or whatever. A lot of times she's told like, right, now you have to go clean. Right, now you go ha have to go help me with this. And not to say that nowadays we don't want children to help with chores and laundry or if you have roommates as an adult yeah. chipping in it's 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 not that but these women could get into situations where it was free labor and you didn't know where your when your breaks were coming and it was kind of like you're indebted to us you didn't marry and you're a burden to us so therefore you have to do all this free labor and you're not over that labor. Whereas women who were mistresses of their own home, at least they could kind of control that and go, okay, yeah, this is this is how my I want my dinner party to go. This is how I want to decorate my front room. You know, women had some sort of agency in their home life, whereas spinsters a lot of times would not. But, but if you were that part of society, why would your spinster sister have to go and do the cleaning and things anyway? Well, and a lot of times they wouldn't, but it would just depend on, on the household and your so you, status in life. And okay, so you're saying that if they're in a household where they don't have the staff 
then they're probably going to be used as staff rather than maybe mm. yeah so it's all about social status really yeah. mm. um for some women it meant that you would go and live in a tiny cottage like in sense and sensibility where you would be isolated from family and you'd have little resources or you'd be stuck in somebody else's house and they would dictate what you could do it it really depended but women being seen as as kind of burdens that's why marriage was so important and love matches were a separate thing or they they were seen as not as important so like that scene in pride and prejudice i have talked to you about this before but that scene with charlotte lucas where she comes up to elizabeth because she's decided to marry a man that they both don't like mr collins is you know awful and she comes up to lizzie in the 2005 version and she says i'm 27 something about like i'm 27 i'm already a burden to my family and I'm frightened, so don't judge me. Yeah. It's such a powerful scene. That scene... It um, really is, because even I remember that scene. Mm -hmm. It was um, written by Emma Thompson. Yeah. Um, which I think is really cool. But I I feel like that scene is so powerful because it, it shows us this is a desperate situation for her. So she's like, hey, I've got to do what I've got to do to survive. Don't judge me. Yeah. Just because you think this guy is not cool, I, I don't... I don't and, have any choice or I have very limited choices. Yeah. And then what she's saying as well is like, hey, I'm making a choice. Yeah. She becomes an agent yes. of her own life when she does that, as opposed to kind of just becoming a sp or, or continuing as a spinster. And then what she thinks of as ruining her parents and, and yeah. all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Well, and there's a lot of bravery in staying a spinster as well. So it's, uh, you know, True. I'm not saying that, True. but I, I think it's just a well, powerful. For, for that character, though. Yeah. She, she, she decided something yeah and that was powerful for her i mean that was really more the film than it was the book but i just think that's a really powerful scene for showing us yeah. how dire marriage could be for women it's you either get married and be seen in in society as something that's good and acceptable and you have some agency over your life or you become a spinster and you are controlled by other people We've only got a few minutes left of this first episode of uh, Regency Rumours Season 2. So what we wanted to do is kind of have a bit of a wrap-up. And we want to keep the episodes to an hour as much as possible. Because we know that you're busy people. You've got stuff to do. We've got stuff to do. And as much as I'd love to talk about Bridgerton and Regency things all day long, we cannot. So suggestions for... You guys, if you're like, I've watched Bridgerton and I just need more of this slow burn, this tension situation between two characters, and I want a good historical romance, then I suggest the uh, Spanish show, The Cook of Castamar. It's on Netflix. Uh, they have some really... En Espanol. Yes. They have some really good um, dubbed over voices to where if you're wanting to listen to it in English and you're someone that doesn't like watching subtitles and you, you want to be able to hear it in your language, then the dubbed over voices are really good for this show. And the tension and the burn between this couple is so good. And there's a bunch of like sexy Spanish men riding around on horses. And so it's... <laughs> I'm pretty sure I remember you watching this because this isn't one that you um, asked me to watch with you. And... I remember some kind of moments when I'd walk past and I'd be like, what is going on? 
why is that so dramatic? Why are you shouting at the telly? <laughs> and you were like, oh, it's this Spanish show. I'm like, okay. Um, it is a bit like a telenovela. <laughs> I'm not going <laughs> to lie. It's a little bit like that. But it's so it's so good. And so if you're wanting something a bit like Bridgerton, you're wanting a bit of that suspense and drama and tension, then this is the show for you. It's set in uh, the 1700s. The costumes are amazing. The settings are in the Spanish countryside, and I highly recommend. And if you like it, join the Facebook group and tell us what you thought. I just wanted to wrap up by saying thanks to everyone who has listened in the past, the people that have reached out. Um, you've really kind of pushed us to do this new season because when we wrapped up last season, we were like, well, what are we going to do? Are we going to continue this on? Or is this going to be too much? And when this new season came out, we were like, you know what? We really enjoy doing this. Yeah. This is a fun thing to do together. And it's a fun thing to kind of share and see what other people's opinions on the show are. And so we just want to thank everybody for listening. If you are new here, we are up for suggestions of ways to do the podcast. It's still very experimental. We're still in, a, in kind of a new phase with this podcast, but we're excited to see where it goes. And we're thankful that you guys are listening. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and any time that somebody sends us a message or kind of says something on the Facebook group or anything like that, it just really gives us that impetus to keep going impetus are you serious what what does that even mean uh momentum the drive to move forward you just think because you're british you're smarter than me but you're not i didn't say that <laughs> at all and i don't think i've ever thought that in my life sometimes he says big words and he's like mm, she's not gonna know what this is but i'm gonna say it anyways that is horrible yeah, uh -huh. that is such an mm -hmm. awful accusation i'm not dumb i i think that is a malodorous which thing one of us <laughs> which one of us is getting a phd mm -hmm, exactly don't make fun of me <laughs> thank you so much for listening to this episode of regency, regency rumors. rumors that wasn't practiced at all which is why it sounded weird thank you and goodbye for now goodbye